With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome back to We've Never Been Clicked, the Good Bull Hunting interview series. My name is Cuppy Cup, and I am thrilled to have a guest who, no matter who you are, you are probably familiar with her, Casey Smith. Many of you will know her from her start at Texags, but she has risen very rapidly through the ranks of the college football media world, and she is now working at Barstool Sports, where she's working on a lot of different productions. Let's go ahead and get rolling with the interview. Hello, Casey. Welcome to We've Never Been Clicked. Uh, I'm so excited that you were able to join me today. How are you? I'm fantastic. It feels like we haven't talked in forever, and I don't like it. We haven't talked in forever. I was actually thinking about this. So it, it feels like you know people on Twitter, but I think in terms of face-to-face -face interaction, we haven't talked since we met at Foul Digits, if you oh remember that. Yeah, that's a long time ago. And I'll be honest with you, Cuppy, I, I didn't want to ever see your face. I wanted you to be one of those guys. I didn't know what you looked like. I just wanted to, you were a character on the internet to me. So that day at Foul Digits, which feels like that was a decade ago, which I guess it probably almost is at this point. It was, uh, it was weird to finally put a, a face with a name, but I'm glad I did. I think it's always disappointing when you meet an anonymous internet person in real life. And then eventually you get over it if they're in the public eye like that happened with me with uh pft actually <laughs> so <laughs> oh yeah that's a that's a shake like you shake kind of when you see him you're like this is not the same guy at all like who who are you but uh he he's a character but just like you though you're the same way cuppy cup you live in infamy on the internet <laughs> well thank you i think thank you uh who who do you think is the bigger smoke show me or, P or pft commenter oh that's tough you know what i think that we should do a head-to-head -head beauty contest do you think you'd be down with that Oh, yeah, absolutely. Next time I am uh, in the big city in New York City, I will uh, I'll call you guys up and we'll, we'll set up the contest. Would you wear sunglasses inside, though? That's the big question. <laughs> I think I'd have to and I'd probably have to go with a long <laughs> wig, too. So you, you actually wouldn't be able to distinguish between us. Yeah, but it'd be funny. I mean, both of you guys are great. So I'd love to see that happen. <laughs> Very good. We could do an auction and see uh, who, who would like to, to date us. My wife would be excited. Oh, yeah. Now I want to visit New York, which uh, <laughs> I haven't been in a long time. I, I grew up in Delaware, so I spent a lot of time in New York as a kid, but I, I really haven't been back in a long time. How, how do you like it up there? I love it. I mean, obviously, you know, it's completely different than College Station and growing up and even in Dallas. I mean, I, it's a big city. Obviously, it's one of the biggest cities in the country, but it's just so much faster up here. You know, obviously, you're not driving everywhere, which took me a little bit to get used to. And the good news was, is being in Boston between Texas and New York kind of gave me a little bit more of an understanding of how the East Coast work. But I mean, New York is a world of its own. I love it. It's just, I mean, you don't have time to breathe most of the time. 
New York is is such a different animal in terms of one thing is how many famous people live there. So I imagine you you have a lot of national recognition now, given your position and kind of your career trajectory. But in New York, I'm sure that works a little bit differently. Like, do people recognize you on the street there? Yeah, they actually do, which I was surprised by. I mean, when I was in Boston, uh, I, I, it didn't surprise me as much because obviously being so crazy of a sports town and being on TV three hours a night, five days a week in Boston, it made sense. I didn't think that would happen as much in New York, but I'll be honest, it's the idea of Barstool being more accessible, I think, because you see A-list type celebrities and yeah, you see the paparazzi and whatever else. Those people are unattainable, I think, to just the everyday person. We're not at Barstool because we're not A-list celebrities. We're just internet people who sit in front of a microphone and talk about what we would in normal life. So we get recognized a lot and people feel like they can come up to us and have conversations just like they listen to us on radio. So it's kind of cool because it's like I'm in one of the biggest cities in the world where all these famous, you know, glitz and glamour type of people live, but people just want to talk about sports and Barstool and kind of the craziness that we do here. So it's a, it's a fun world to live in, no doubt, but it's still, I'll never get used to being, you know, shouted out in the streets and hearing Viva and hearing our names <laughs> called. It's pretty cool. That is quite, it reminds me of the other uh, New York City Casey, Casey Neistat with being like a YouTube celebrity, but I think he's approachable too. So it's a little, it's a different type of celebrity that's probably more fun than being like, you know, movie star, TV star. Yeah, the internet just makes it a lot easier because people feel like they're your friend, right? It's like, we're not going to have paparazzi following us into a Dwayne Reed when we want to go get our Cheez-Its, but people will come <laughs> in and want to take pictures and talk about funny content that maybe we did. And, you know, I, I say that paparazzi has been kind of lingering around our building, so I don't really know what they're looking for. But at the same time, I think it's a completely different type of, of recognition and it's pretty cool. Interesting. So the paparazzi, is that like Deadspin trying to to write 100 stories probably. a month about, about Barstool? <laughs> what I think they're probably trying to do, they're probably trying to catch one of the guys like saying something derogatory to me on the way out. So they could be like, see, I told you they treat women poorly there, which is never going to happen. But, you know, I think it, it's just it goes to show how the Internet has really changed the media landscape and coming from linear television and being at ESPN for the time that I was. It is incredible how much more people connect with what they see on the internet now than what they see on TV a lot. And I think that's just showing that happening in New York City because people can just come up and feel like they know you. Yes. Yeah. And does that wear on you at all? So you you kind of um, have to be a defender of Barstool and, and even some of the things they did long before you got there. But when Barstool's in the public eye on outside the lines and shows like that, uh, does does that become annoying or is it just something you're kind of proud to do? Uh, it's kind of a mixture of both because one of the biggest narratives and you, you know, brought this up with like just, you know, people looking for storylines. One of those storylines that we get hit with all the time is that Barstool is sexist and that they're full of misogynists and they don't treat women correctly. And it frustrates me to no end because I sit in this office every single day. I sit around way more guys and I sit around girls and I've never been treated better anywhere in my life that I've worked. And that's not taking away anything from when I worked at Texags. Obviously that was my family and in, in see sports Boston and in Boston was the same way, but to have the, the narrative surrounding this company and to be treated 180 degree different than what people think it does wear on me. Cause it's like, no, I am a woman. I work in here. I have a platform that's bigger than I ever dreamed of having. And by the way, the only reason I have that platform is because Barstool gave it to me. So that side of it, I get sick of, and I'll never stop defending these guys because I love them with all my heart. But at the other side of it is without people talking about us, then we're not as big as we are. You know, we're over a hundred million dollar company at this point. So when you do have hit pieces and you know, they're not true, you want to defend them. But at the same time, if you're not being talked about, you're not doing a whole lot. So kind of it comes with the good and the bad. 
Yeah, and then it has kind of a weird flavor to it in that, uh, at least from my observations, people tell you what you th- what you should think about Barstool, which seems oh, yeah. like a form of misogyny in itself. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy when I see women that are like, you know, we want to be empowered and we want women to have a voice and to do what they want in their career and rise to those those heights that they can, but not if it doesn't fit their narrative. And Barstool fits right into that. And it's crazy how many times I will fight back on on Twitter and say, well, you know, like I, I worked at network TV. I had a job at ESPN. I had a job with NBC Sports. Like, it's not like I was just some dumb girl that had no idea what it's like to live in the real world. You know, I, I understand why people think that Barstool is the way they are until you actually consume it. And nine times out of 10, those accusations that are being thrown around are by people who don't actually consume what we do. They read headlines and they fit, you know, they fit a narrative that they think that they're fitting and it's just a false one. The way I think about it, like I don't, I don't like Dave all that much all the time, but it's like any other media entity. There are some people I love and I listen to all the time. And then there are other people that, uh, you know, they don't resonate with me for whatever reason. And I, I don't consume their content, but it's like that at ESPN and even tech sags and even good bull hunting where, where I'm an editor, right? It's like, you just, you have, you're drawn to certain types of content, but when you have these big companies that have multiple writers, multiple podcasters, and uh, I don't even know how many employees Barstool has now, but uh, you're not going to like some of those people, but it doesn't mean, you know, and I've seen this with PFT too. It's like, well, you should be speaking out negatively against the company you work for. And I don't know that that's that's necessarily true because it can be good to get people inside a culture that you think has problems to try to change things for the better. Um, and that's kind of my perspective on it. Yeah. And that's, that's totally fair. And here's the thing is like, and I, I say this out loud all the time because I really do feel like I have to stand up for the company and not only the company for Dave Portnoy is like, you know, we have no rules. We're uncensored. We're unedited. We're raw. We're authentic. So throughout the years of Barstool, you know, there was a lot of things that maybe didn't hit right. Or if you look at stand up comedy, it happens all the time. So a lot of those things that people point to that there's a bad culture inside Barstool, they're taking headlines of something that that's usually taken out of context. Now, I'm not taking Dave's side 100% on everything that he does, but I do know that Dave's a very good person and he's incredibly good at what he does. And I think that resonates throughout this entire company. And like you said, we have a million people that work here. If you don't like something, you don't have to consume it because we have comedy, we have sports, we have lifestyle, we have a sex podcast, we have everything that you could possibly want. So just find what you like. If you I always say this. If you go on to barstoolsports.com or you listen to podcasts and you can't find one thing that is entertaining to you, then I don't think you can be entertained in life because we have such an array of things from parted my take to call her daddy to the college football show to chicks in the office. It's like there's something for everybody. You should actually have to give it a a shot and understand that we're not who the Internet says that we are. Sure. And I, I have a confession. Chicks in the office is a guilty pleasure of mine. Oh, so, I love it. They're yeah. great. <laughs> so I, uh, uh, you know, I was subscribed to a bunch of podcasts and they just kind of roll through depending on what I'm listening to. But uh, I, I do like that. So um, they're fantastic. And the fact that Rhea is 21 years old and that's such an underrated storyline. It's like she was 18 when she started working at Barstool. She has a serious XM show, a national radio show. She has a huge podcast. She has a Snapchat show. You don't see those opportunities happen at other networks because it's just impossible for someone that young to get the platform that she has and Fran being in her mid twenties as well. It's awesome to see and it only can happen at Barstool. So that's my spiel. Everyone go listen to chicks in the office because they're taking over the world. And now I, I never would have guessed that Rhea was only 21. So now I feel kind of guilty. No, no, (laughs) no. That's the cool thing about Barstool is that like, there's no age here. Like, you know, Dave's, 
40s, Rhea's 21. We've got interns that are 18, 19 years old, but everybody feels the same age because we're all working under the same umbrella of just trying to get that content out and we have no rules. So we're all friends. It's a really cool dynamic in here. There's no doubt. The uh, And you touched on this a little bit, but what are a lot of our listeners also consume tech sags. And I think we even have kind of a antagonistic position at times. And sometimes it's just for laughs uh, with tech sags. So I think a lot of listeners w- to this show will be curious about the differences between working at tech sags in that culture and working at Barstool. Is there anything that, that stands out? Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, TechSags is my family. Like I still check in with Gabe as much as I can, talk to Billy. I think that they're, they're very similar in the way that, you know, everybody is a normal person that just sits down and says, what can we put out that's the best for our audience? And I think that the biggest difference is probably that at TechSags, you know, it's all Aggies. So everybody was a huge A&M fan and, and for the most part, and it was kind of working towards a very similar thing. And we're all putting out Texas A&M content, whether it was football, basketball, baseball, whatever. Here at Barstool, it's everybody's working in their own kind of zones. And so I can be sitting next to somebody who's a stand-up comedian that I have nothing in common with other than the fact that we work at Barstool and we have fun together. That's probably the biggest difference is that this company has just so many different avenues. But I know TechSags has gotten so big over the years as well, where it really is. It's just a bunch of normal people who have a talent that work well together. And how do you get that talent out to the audience in the best way possible? And, you know, obviously on different scales and from Barstool having different things in just one university, uh, it's doing the same thing. It's just having this rabid audience that can't get enough and how you feed those people. And it's a lot of fun. How about the subscribers of TechSags versus the Stoolies? Or do you see more similarities or differences there? Uh, you know, I don't go on TechSags forums a whole bunch. One of the things, one of the reasons why, one of the things that frustrated me was, again, having to defend Barstool. I feel like when I when I first, you know, came to Barstool, TechSags was like, oh, you know, she's so much better than that. But what I realized is that's the same way people that consume Barstool feel about Barstool. So it's like the, you know, the people that love TechSags and that see the culture at TechSags, they're going to defend that. And if they think something is different, then they're going to argue with that. Same thing with Barstool. People love Barstool and they're going to defend Barstool. So if you go somewhere else, it's the same thing like, oh, you know, she was better here. So yeah. I, I think that it all comes down to just the passion. And I think that's so key uh, with stuff like Barstool, TechSags, Good Bull Hunting, whatever it may be. It's that when you have people who love what you're doing and who want to consume it every single second of the day, you're doing something right. So those are similar. I will say, you know, a conservative Texas audience versus the national audience that's based a lot out of the East Coast, a lot of different, uh, different ways that people talk probably on the internet than uh, yeah. they do down South. But uh, overall, it just comes down to how much people love consuming uh, what everybody puts out. And that's a really cool similarity. Yeah. And I, uh, I re I still read, uh, Billy's premium board quite a bit and I, I have seen feedback on, so people will share your articles when, especially when you write about Texas A&M and the, the comment I always see is that you're swearing too much <laughs> at Barstool. So that kind of points yeah. to the demographic difference maybe in age. Yes. Yeah, definitely a demographic difference. I mean, and, and to be completely honest, it took me a little bit when I moved to Boston to be like, oh, wow, like I can actually talk how I would talk when I'm having a beer. This is crazy. And then you almost kind of fall into um, it's just your surroundings. And I think that that's a common misconception with Barstool and, and just maybe even with people in the East Coast. It's they're not swearing because they want to because for just frivolously. It's because that's just actually how people talk. That's how you walk out on the streets and that's what you're hearing. And obviously growing up in Texas, that's not what I saw, especially in College Station. So I understand why people get a little bit you know, shook by that. 
But again, Barstool being so authentic, you're not going to get anybody that's sitting in front of a microphone or behind a keyboard or whatever that's not being themselves to some degree. And I think that's why people love Barstool so much because it's as real as it can possibly get. Yeah, I, I experienced some of that too, uh, coming from Delaware and Pittsburgh. Like when I moved to Texas, I really had to clean it up just because of the way people talk up there versus versus down here in Texas. It's kind of jarring. Like my mom lived in New York in the 80s, and she, but she hadn't been back for years and years. And she came and visited me when I was in Boston and in New York. She was like, oh my gosh, I forgot how people talk up here. I'm like, I know, mom, I'm sorry. Maybe just put some earplugs. It'll be fine. You can wash my mouth out with soap when I get home for Christmas. Oh, another thing uh, that I was wondering about was the the actual perception of Aggies just generally in in New York City. So I know they have A and M clubs, and there must be a lot of Aggies on Wall Street and um, and that type of thing. But uh, what what feedback do you get on A and M? Do people give you a hard time? Oh, the hardest time it is. I feel like you talk about defending Barstool. I feel like I defend A&M more than anything because <laughs> it's the whole thing of, of the, you know, you don't understand it. And if you try to explain it, then people still won't understand it. It's from the outside looking in that whole yeah. thing that we preach all the time. So the, the biggest thing that I had to deal with when I first came to New York was my Aggie ring. <laughs> um, so that that's one of the biggest things people don't get. And also, you know, the word cult, I mean, that gets thrown around all the time. But I have almost come to the point now where I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I don't want to say it's an I, I hate that there's a negative connotation to that word, but I don't see it as a problem that we love our university so much and that we're so proud to represent it. But if that's how you see a cult, then fine. Maybe I'm in a cult of Texas A&M. I don't know, because I love it so much more than I think anybody else loves their school up here. And you just never stop explaining that. Nobody will ever understand it, but I think people do appreciate it more because I do say like, this is how I grew up. This is where I went to school. This is what I love. If you don't like it, tough break, but guess what? You're going to hear about it for the rest of the college football season. The, the thing that reminded me to reach out to you again was Dan uh, Barstool Big Cat. Said, uh, you, you shared an, I think it was an old video, but where he said that A&M's rival was fun. Oh, yeah. That was good. It's a it's good not, line. Hey, they roast me. It is like they roast me on that college football show. Yeah, we were actually going through clips from last year's show because we're about to to get through with the doing the trailers and stuff for this year's show, which is going to be crazy. We're actually going to be breaking news at the A&M Clemson game in Clemson. So it's going to be exciting. We'll have our huge show there. But oh, nice. I know. I'm very excited. So ba for anybody who's listening that doesn't know what we do, we basically have an irreverent game day where we set up a massive college game day set and people throw beers at us and we talk a lot of college football and it's great. Um, but A&M is constantly being dragged through those narratives, which I will stand up 10 out of 10. But that clip, yeah, I found that from last year. I was like, oh, I have not gotten over that roast. I think at one point last year, they told me that the only reason I went to A&M was to be a farmer. And I was like, do you think I went to A&M to study agriculture? Does that like, is that what you've taken from me that I feel like I've, you know, I'm an expert in? Uh, so th they're never going to stop. But you know what? All they got, all we have to do is get them to one game at Kyle Field at some point and they'll change their tune real quick. Yeah. that And that as a Northeasterner was weird for me, too. I had I had probably seen one sheep in my life when I moved to Aggieland. And then every time someone made fun of me, it had something to do with uh, having sex with sheep. So I found that to be so bizarre. Because, of course, that's what everybody does down there, right? Oh, that's yeah. Exactly what we're all into. Bestiality. Sign us up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so how do you watch the college football show? Is that like a live stream? I have not uh, watched the show. Yeah, so it's uh, we actually do it at 10 a.m. on Saturdays, which goes right up against college game day. And it was actually really fun to see how many people do multiple screens. So it's live on our app and on the internet. And we're working towards, we have a, a Roku app as well. You can watch it on Roku. We're working towards some other cool things with, uh, you know, some other streaming 
companies, which I can't disclose yet, but um, it's every Saturday, 10 a.m., unless we're on the road. So we'll be on the road more this year. Uh, We do, if we're not on the road, we shoot it in studio in a big television studio. So it's cool to see Barstool kind of moving towards that. And then if we're on the road, we do about two hours to an hour and a half before kickoff of whatever game we were at. So it's me, Dave Portnoy, El Presidente, and Big Cat. And then this year, we'll have a guy named Brandon Walker, who works for SEC Country and now works for us. And it's, I mean, honestly, I can't describe it any better than it's an irreverent game day. We go through all the big storylines of the week, and we have our top tens. And uh, it was so much fun last year. We had Panera as a sponsor, and we ate a lot of mac and cheese. And it's, it's, very refreshing having my background in TV and being able to have that aspect of it, but then also getting to say what you and I would talk about if we're at the bar having a beer about college football without having to do all the X's and O's and suits and ties. It's like, this is what people are actually talking about with college football and we're going to lay it out Barstool style and we're going to do it again this year and we're going to go on the road even more. So it's going to be insane. Very good. You'll have to make it down to Aggie land. So you don't have a plan yet to visit college station. No, you know what is the saddest thing ever? And I say this all the time with just such just depression in my heart. We were supposed to do the A&M LSU game last year. And we were going to have a hu- our huge setup. And I mean, hundreds and thousands of people come out to these things, depending on where we're at. We did Army-Navy last year, and we had a parking lot full, which was so cool. But we were going to be set up at Chimmy's, actually. And at the time, I, I was doing the podcast with Johnny Manziel. And so we had this huge plan. And that week, we realized that Ohio State, Michigan, because Dan went to uh, Wisconsin, Big Ten guy, Dave went to Michigan, and that was a top 10 matchup. We looked at A&M, LSU, we're like, you know, it's going to be a good game, but it doesn't really have the national implications. And last minute, we switched, and we went to Columbus, and we watched Ohio State just murder Michigan, and then that awesome game happened in College (laughs) Station. I'm never going to get over it. So (laughs) don't have plans to go to College Station this year. I think we may be doing something. I don't. The show will probably not be there, but we may be there for the Mississippi State game at the end of October. But as far as the show goes, the A&M game that we will be at will be at Clemson, which is going to be cool as well. Very good. There, there should be a, a good Aggie contingent there. Uh, I, think. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. You know, the national champs, you can't show up and not give them a, a good view of what A&M looks like. Right. Yeah. So, so that'll be, that'll be exciting. Hopefully it'll be very exciting because A&M will win, but uh, uh, gosh, so. Clemson looks good. <laughs> I know it's tough. You know, Trevor Lawrence is just scary at this point. So we'll see. But you know, I obviously last year with Kelly Bryant's a little bit different of a storyline with Clemson, but I mean, they hung in there last year. So maybe this year we can, uh, give it a, even a little bit more of a shot. You did mention the comeback uh, briefly in there. Are you still keeping up with, with Johnny? So he will not be on the podcast this year. We do talk every once in a while. There will be a different spin on the podcast this year. We're going to keep it more in-house uh, with the college football content. That's another thing that Barstool is really growing out is just how much we cover college football. And our show last year uh, really helped that dynamic grow but uh, I loved working with Johnny last year it was cool because it was kind of full circle for me because when I was at TechSags you know he won the Heisman and I got to cover that and it was the coolest thing in the world to me and I got my job at ESPN because of an audition where they wanted me to talk about Johnny Manziel so it became yeah it's crazy SEC media days like 2013 I guess so uh, full circle for me. And he's, you know, I, I wish nothing for the best for him. I, it's frustrating because the way the CFL kind of fell apart for him. And then mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the AAF just completely folded with none of his fault to be had there. But, uh, you know, Johnny really got his stuff together last year. And I think he really showed not only the people close to him, but the people that support him 
that he knows he messed up. He knows he didn't handle things the right way when he was with Cleveland. And he really, really wants to be back on a football field. So I'm hoping that that opportunity can happen. I don't know, maybe the XFL. Uh, we'll see. But um, I was really impressed with Johnny and I loved working with him last year. It was a lot of fun. People do love the redemption story and the comeback. So hopefully that that does come sooner rather than later. And it, and it has, uh, I think, started in some ways, but maybe just not uh, on the football field. So but we yeah, he, he definitely he is showing the fact that, you know, getting back in the CFL and having to work to get that starting position and having the trade and all that, you know, those are all frustrating things. But I can say talking to him, you know, not only on the podcast every single week, but talking to him as a personal friend, I could see so much growth in him from even just when he was at A&M, which is obviously true. You mature, you get better with age and you get, you understand more, but he, he gets that he might've messed up an opportunity and he's going to do nothing until he can get back on that field. I mean, he's going to stop at nothing is what I mean. It's going to be uh, it'll be fun to watch and I hope he can get back on the field because he's so electric. Right. Fantastic. All right. So are you the college football authority at Barstool? I was trying to think of of who else, a lot of people kind of uh, touch on college football, but I don't know if they have the uh, kind of depth of expertise that you do. Is anyone there rivaling your your uh, CFB knowledge? You know what, I'm gonna put that on my next business card that I am just a college <laughs> football expert and that's me. No, I, I was definitely brought in for that because when I was in Boston, you know, I was covering the Patriots, the Red Sox and the Celtics and uh, Dave Portnoy, Boston guy, obviously like saw that on TV and said, well, wait a minute, doesn't she have a background in college football? We're trying to grow that here. So I was brought in to host that big show that I mentioned. And uh, we actually have Brandon Walker, the guy I said that will be new on the show. He is an encyclopedia. He knows everything. And then we have a guy named Jack Mack who was an intern. He's now full time. And he's the same way. He's younger. So it's cool to see now more people in the office that care about college football. But they hired me to help build this brand. So I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm the front runner. I don't know if anybody would agree with that, but they're not on this podcast. I am. That's so, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, but that's definitely my brand. And again, at Barstool, everybody has their different brands, right? Everybody does their thing. Um, you know, if you put a gun to Eric Bernardini, our CEO's head or Dave's head and said, you know, what is Casey Smith the best at? They're going to say college football. And so that's what I'm rolling with. All right. Excellent. So as the college football expert, what is your 2019 outlook? And just from a high level uh, for Aggie football. Uh, going into this difficult schedule year. Oh, it's such a hard schedule, isn't it? It just like you look at it and you just kind of cringe a little bit. It's going to be tough. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm excited about Jimbo and I didn't think, you know, when they first hired Jimbo, you know, I had my kind of just thoughts about him at Florida state and kind of the Jameis Winston stuff. And I put that aside because I understand, you know, there's two sides to every story, but I think that once Jimbo can get a full team of his guys in, I think a is going to be unstoppable. And it's tough because you're in the same division as Nick Saban and he's the greatest of all time. And I understand that. But watching last year, and even though it didn't go completely perfectly, but the way they were able to contend against Clemson, against Alabama, and then didn't have that late October slide the way that we had seen with Kevin Sumlin, that just gives you hope. You can see a difference in that culture, I think. And they're exciting to watch. I love Kellen Mond. So I don't, I can't sit here and say that I think they're going to be contending for for the SEC championship this year. I think they're going to be contending for the West, but as long as you're playing against Alabama right now, that's tough. But I think the future is super bright in Aggieland. Yeah, we were kind of talking about that earlier this week. That uh, And it's frustrating, I think, for listeners or just for AM fans to talk this way. But it really is like keep your eyes on 2020 when the, the schedule eases a bit and Jimbo's had more time to put his, his players uh, in the system there. 
I mean, the schedule is so tough and it's, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Nick Saban or if you're, you know, Dabo Sweeney, whoever you are, like the fact that this schedule looks like it does for AM this year is scary. But at the same time, I think you saw last year that he really was turning it around. I think like I've mentioned when he gets all of his own talent and that's going to be key, but I, you know, it's, it stinks to say as an Aggie and I hate saying it, but when you've got the greatest college football coach of all time in your division, you're not going to be contending every single year for a national championship until you get the talent that can beat that guy. And when that happens, then I think A&M is going to be rising to the top very quickly. Well, let's finish on a, a somewhat positive note. So let's assume A&M is going to win at least one of those games in the, the murderer's row of, of four top four teams, really, uh, oh. that, that they're facing. So if they're going to win one out of Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU, which one do you think the Aggies have the best shot in? So I hate saying this. I don't think that they're going to beat Clemson. I think that that's just, I mean, I think it's going to be a good game, but I'm going to have to say, honestly, I think it's going to be LSU because I think that that team, and you look at last year and how epic that game was, they're just so close in talent and they're so close on the field. And the fact that, that we saw what happened last year, I think that's going to continue. And I think now that A&M has their number, finally, Finally, a and LSU. Um, that, and I think Georgia is potentially as well. I, you know, Kirby Smart, for some reason, at the end of the seasons, and, and not just in the end of games, like when he starts getting kind of outcoached, and we saw Nick Saban do that multiple times over the last couple of years, I think that he kind of folds a little bit. And I love Kirby Smart. I think he's a great coach. But I think that Jimbo can be one of those guys that can outcoach Kirby Smart in those types of situations. So I'm looking at those two games at the end of the schedule. But unfortunately, Alabama and Clemson, they're just – they're machines, so I can't put that on the record. But hey, you know what? If they play them like they did last year, maybe we'll, A&M's got a shot. It's such a terrifying thing when I when you're presented with four teams and you think the best shot is winning at Death Valley against I LSU. Know. Oh, it's tough. And like Georgia's just, you know, always in the mix too. But oh, I yeah. mean, the fact that those four are on the schedule all at once is so incredibly daunting. But Jimbo Fisher being a guy that's won a national championship in his career. And again, I think you saw the fire that he was able to light under that team last year. You know, and you never say never. And I'm so excited to see the future here. But 2019, it's about building blocks, I, I think. And 2020, 2021, I think is when you're going to really see A&M at that, the top of that top five, top 10 every year. Right. Wonderful. I, I actually admire the Aggies, at least on Twitter and text Ags who look at that schedule and they're excited. It's like they, they want to rise to the challenge. I don't know how much of that's posturing, but uh, my personality is uh, that I look at that with fear, but uh, maybe it's just because I'm a lifelong Aggie. It's, a, it's being realistic. Maybe that's what you should put it. So it's like, you know, we're realistic. We're losing, using our logic. However, I do think it's, it's fun to say, okay, like if A&M stays, you know, competitive in those games, wins a couple of those games, you know, I mean, obviously winning all four would be incredible. They'll be playing in the national championship, but that's when you get on the national scale where people up here in New York and people that I work with, that could care less about, you know, the way that Aggies feel about stuff. It's like, oh, well, Texas A&M is back in that conversation. Having schedules like these, are the way that's going to happen. So right. I get, you know, I'm excited about it, I guess. I'm scared about it. But at the same time, <laughs> college football season can't get here fast enough. Yeah, no kidding. That's awesome. Uh, Casey, thank you so much for uh, for being on this show. I think you're probably uh, over our head now in terms of talent and recognition. So I do appreciate you uh, agreeing to, to join us. And you're a wonderful guest. We, we definitely have to catch up more often. It's been too long since foul digits. So uh, I do- long. 
Yeah, way too long. I, I want to come up and compete with PFT in something, whether oh, it's athletic feats or <laughs> uh, the the auction, the bachelor auction, even though maybe I'm married. Have some hair flips, maybe. You can have the long, luxurious locks like PFT. <laughs> really, the possibilities are endless. So you're more than welcome to come up to the Big Apple anytime you want. Well, thank you. Have a great rest of the day. And I am, uh, this is my vow, I am going to tune in this year to the the college football show because I think I watch game day out of habit and I don't get a lot of joy out of watching it. So uh, I'm looking for a change. I can promise joy. I can promise laughter and I can promise a lot of A&M roasting that I will dig my heels in and I will stand up until kingdom come. So we're happy <laughs> to have you a part of our roller coaster ride at this circus that we have over here. There you go. And I'm not, I don't shy away from A&M roasts and often jump right into the fray and participate. So well, uh, good. I mean, <laughs> I'll have you has my, you'll have my back then. That's great. <laughs> well, thank you. And have a, uh, a wonderful rest of the day, Casey. All right. Awesome. Awesome interview. Uh, thank you so much for listening, uh, for subscribing, for telling other people about the show. Uh, we really are going to try to bring you more interviews like this with uh, people that you want to hear from. Uh, we kicked this season's interviews off with Ben Baby. Um, we also have a lot of other cool guests on the way. Andy Staples, Bruce Feldman. Uh, and if you have suggestions for people you'd like to hear us talk to on We've Never Been Clicked, uh, then just hit us up in the mentions. Never been clear.